Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence today. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love, your kindness. We pray that our hearts would be tender and pliable and receptive to your word. We pray that the word would flow from the pastor and be a blessing to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there is a, uh, a commercial on TV right now. It's a car commercial. It's for uh, a Kia Sorento. And on this commercial, uh, this family is driving down the street, and they are, it's a mom and a dad and a little toddler and a, uh, a little baby. And they're driving down the street in the suburban street, and the toddler says to his dad, Dad, where do babies come from? And the dad gets this very sort of panicked look on his face, and he starts to tell this story. He says, uh, well, you see, son, there's a planet, and the planet is called Babylandia. And on this planet, there are millions of babies. And at just the right time, these babies get in rocket ships, and they fly through outer space, and nine months later, they, they come into the Earth's atmosphere, and they are released from their capsules, and they find their parents, and that's how babies are born. And the little boy in the back, the toddler, says... But dad, Jake said uh, that babies are made when mommies and daddies, and the dad freaks. And he goes, he tells the, 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 the radio, the, you know, the radio system, he says, Uno, play wheels on the bus. And then wheels on the bus goes, wheels on the bus go round and around, round and around. So, you know, and the commercial is playing on this sort of cultural phenomenon that, you know, having discussions about sex are uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to have discussions about that topic because it's a very, very personal topic. It's a very emotional topic, and it's a very powerful force in all of our lives. Uh, and the church has struggled, I would say, over the centuries to deal with this topic um, in a way that makes sense, in a way that is clear, in a way that's coherent. Um, on one hand, you have groups like the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, the infamous Westboro Baptist Church, which is a group of people, and, and you may have seen them on the news. They hold up signs at funerals of fallen soldiers that say, God hates fags. That's, their, that's what they do. And, and, and they, they pretend that this is um, a, a Christian act. Um, their acts, their actions are deplorable. Uh, they are a perversion of what Jesus teaches us. Um, and, you know, they, they do a great disservice, I believe, to the gospel. On the other hand, uh, there are churches that avoid completely discussing this topic that is found, you know, repeatedly in the scripture, uh, the topic of sexuality. And, um, and in some cases, churches will go so far as to even affirm uh, the kinds of se- some of the, the kinds of sexual conduct that the scripture prohibits us as Christians from engaging in. So what we're going to do today, <laughs> and pray for me out there, is um, I, I pray that we are going to have a candid, honest, clear uh, discussion about this topic that is in the scripture, this topic of sex and sexuality. Um, the funny thing about you know, preaching, I guess the good thing about preaching through a, an entire book of the Bible is that you don't have a lot of choices about what you're going to preach. If you're on that passage, you're going to preach that passage, right? That's the good and the bad because sometimes, you know, 
pastors like to avoid topics that are difficult or challenging to talk about. Um, I also want to say, before we, uh, before we dive in, that this discussion in the scriptures and in this room, this discussion about how we, um, how we express our lives, our sexual lives, is a discussion in the scripture and in here that's actually directed only at those people who, have, who claim that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, who claim to be Christians. When Paul wrote the, the epistle to the Ephesians, he wrote it only to Christians within the church. And he said, these are instructions for you. So we sometimes do a disservice by you know, blaring our the instructions that are directed at us to the whole world, although it would benefit the whole world to follow the instructions of, of the Bible. Um, but, but Paul, in this passage, is talking to us as Christians. So if you are not a Christian and you're just sort of exploring or thinking about you know, these, you know, maybe becoming a Christian, then you have the benefit today of sitting in on a family discussion. Um, and we welcome you to, to listen in on this family discussion. But that's what it is. It's instructions for those who are followers of Jesus. And I also want to say that this topic can be difficult because, you know, some of you have experienced a great deal of pain in this area. Um, either because as a child someone behaved in ways that were inappropriate and, uh, and abused you or hurt you. And, um, and so this topic hits a very tender spot for you. And, and to you, I want to say that, number one, that was not your fault. And number two, Jesus can heal those wounds. Uh, he can heal those scars. People sometimes are affected for years because of an experience, uh, a sexual experience that they had as a child. But I want to say that God can heal that, okay? And there are resources that you can reach out to and, and, and that we have access to that can help you walk through that process. Avenues Counseling is one of them, and there are others. Um, but if that's an area where you've been hurt, um, God can heal that part of your life, okay? And then for others of you, um, there's going to be, and, and there may be, challenges because you are living in a way that you are embarrassed about or ashamed of or have lived. Either you have been engaged in you know, a life of promiscuity uh, or you have discovered that you experience lust for people other than the person to whom you're married. Uh, you experience you know, lustful desires for people of the same sex. You experience... Um, you know, you've, you've been engaged in uh, promiscuity or infidelity or pornography or, or any, anything that, any of these types, or like as Paul likes to say, anything like this. You know what I mean? Whenever he gives these lists, he says, and other things like this. You know what I'm talking about. I want to say to you that God is a merciful and forgiving God and that God can redeem you and clear your Conscience, conscience and clear your plate. He came to make himself a sacrifice so that your sin can be forgiven. All right? So I want to say to you, don't live a life of shame and dread and fear because of perhaps past improprieties, past sexual conduct, or even present sexual conduct. You can be forgiven for that. And, and you can lead a life that is joyful, 
fulfilling, rewarding, powerful, loving, um, and pleasurable and fun. Um, That's what God wants for you, okay? So, have I set this up enough? (laughs) Um, All right, so let's get into... um, Let's get into the passage. Um, We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And it says this. It starts with this, and I love how Paul does this. He says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hold on one second, Michelle. Go, uh, sorry, let's stay right there for just one second. He wants us to know right at the beginning, and he does this the first three chapters of Ephesians, but he wants to let us know again before he launches into this difficult passage. He wants to say, you are a dearly loved child of God. You're a loved child of God. Okay? That's who you are. And so what I want you to do, he's saying, is I want you to walk like a dearly loved child of God. Okay, next verse. But among you, he says, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And let me stay on that for one second. Um, this, this phrase in the scripture where it says sexual immorality the, the Greek word for that is pornia. It's where we get the word pornography. And what the scriptures are talking about when it's talking about pornia, and, and it's very explicit throughout the scripture, that what he is referring to is sexual conduct that is not between a man and a woman who are married. Uh, that is the phrase that encompasses all of, the, all of the sexual activity outside of that particular narrow band of sexual conduct. Um, and notice that he, he combines it with impurity or greed because what, I think what he's trying to get at here is, is that you know, greed is actually a desire for something that's good but too much of a desire for that thing or a desire for that thing through wrongful means. Okay, it's not a bad thing to want to acquire money because money is what make, allows you to pay for you know your bills, pay for your food, support your family. It's fine, but greed is when you seek that out in ways that are not permissible, and you desire it in ways that are not permissible, and you desire it you know as an idol. You want it more than God. It becomes more important to you than God, and and he also contrasts this with what the prior verse where he says Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for us. So he's, he's, he's contrasting self-sacrifice with self-indulgence. Okay, self-sacrifice with self-indulgence. Okay, next slide. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather there should be thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such, such a person is an idolater, he says, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Next slide. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, he says, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 
he bookends this, this very explicit, very clear, very direct passage with these two, with the same principle. At the very beginning, he says, you're dearly beloved children of God. Don't engage in all of this stuff. Remember, you are children of light. You're dearly beloved children. He bookends it with our identity, okay? And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a moment. But I will say this, that our actions are a result of our identity. What we do is a result of who we believe we are. And that's what he is trying to drive at in this scripture, is that he's saying, you're a child of God, and I want you to live out of that identity. Okay? Um, I'll just tell you one funny story, and Craig Wagner can't be here today, but, but Craig tells a story about uh, a men's conference in the context of, you know, of this discussion about sex and sexuality and sort of, um, you know, being honest that it's, it's an issue that faces likely all, all of us, if, you know, almost all of us, if not all of us. Um, and he says at this men's retreat, the, the speaker gets up and he, you know, takes the podium and there's maybe a hundred guys in the, in, the, in the audience. And the speaker says, all right, you know, Raise, raise your hands, he says. I'm not asking you to do this, but he says, raise your hands. He says, uh, how many of you men have, have ever struggled with pornography? And about, about five guys in the congregation or in the audience raised their hand. And he said, okay, good. He said, um, uh, because this, this talk is to the rest of you, I'm going to talk about the sin of lying today. Um, <laughs> so... Um, the point is that this is an issue that even though it's rarely talked about in church, it's, it's an issue that the, the issue of, of our sexual lives uh, is very important and impacts each and every one of us. Um, I'm going to start with this basic biblical principle. The basic premise, the basic principle upon which all of the rest of this relies is this. According to the scripture, sex is good. Sex is very good. The scriptures are not platonic, okay? A lot of churches have become uh, sort of um, platonic in the sense that they've adopted, uh, in ancient Greece, the philosopher Plato had developed this idea that the material world was, was less valuable than the world of images, the world, the immaterial world, okay? And that we should try to get away from the material world and only, you know, sort of gravitate towards the immaterial world. And, and there's some philosophers in here that are going to probably correct me on my nuances here, but that's the basic gist of it. Um, and a lot of churches have sort of adopted that idea. The scripture does not adopt that idea. There is a distinction between the spirit and the flesh, but the flesh is not talking strictly about physical body. Um, the scripture, uh, throughout the scripture, we learn that sex as it was designed by God, is a very good thing. Um, for example, in Genesis 2, uh, G, uh, the, the scriptures say, therefore, and this is the very beginning, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh is the Hebrew way of saying they're going to have sex. They're going to be one in every respect. Um, and it is a good thing. Um, I remember when, when I was a kid, I was sitting with my dad. My dad decided to take me skydiving. I think I was 16 or 15. And, you know, I always had this view of my dad. He was a pastor, 
you know, he was always like very, you know, proper and put together. So, you know, the idea of sex and the, you know, discussions about that, that never really came, came up for us and we never really talked about that much. But we went to this skydiving place and we were getting trained on how to skydive. And so my dad and I are sitting there and probably a group of about 10 other guys and we're all sitting there and the instructor is talking about how, what, how great it is for skydiving and all this kind of stuff and he uses a phrase that many of us have, hear, have heard and he says, you know, skydiving is so great, it's better than sex. And I heard my dad under his breath say, I don't think so. And I went, excuse me? <laughs> uh, whoa. Um, and I really, I remember that so clearly. And I'm so grateful for that. I don't even know. He didn't really mean to do that for my benefit. But what it did was to say, hey, this isn't an off-limits topic. This isn't some dirty, dark secret, right? It's a good thing. Um, if you read, and I'm not going to read all of the stuff that I've got here, uh, but I'm just going to recommend that you read those passages yourself. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit, but I'm too prudish, if you will, to even read the whole stuff here. Um, and, and, you know, but, but Proverbs says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. And then I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip some lines. And then, and then it says, sorry, I, just, I cannot do it. And then it says, be intoxicated always in her love. The scripture is like, you know, rich in this imagery uh, of, of love, lovemaking, and sex. And then I'm not even going to touch Song of Solomon. But I will recommend that you read Song of Solomon. Um, I've got it right here. I'll read you the first couple lines. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. And then it gets more, it gets more detailed after that. So we're going to leave that one for your own, your own reading. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that the, script, if, if, the Scripture is not prudish. The Scripture is not platonic. God created sex, and sex is good. That's the underlying premise of point number one, okay? Point number two is the goodness of sex has been tainted by the badness of sin. The goodness of sex has been tainted by the badness of sin. Again, in Genesis, we learn that What's interesting is that right when he's describing, when the scriptures are describing the first man and first woman, it says they were naked and they were not ashamed, okay? Then we have the story of the fall where they sinned. And then immediately after that, his response, uh, their response to sin is that the Lord called out to them. He says, the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. He said, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? So we get this idea, this image very early in the scripture that because sin has entered the world, it has tainted this beautiful gift that God gave us. It has tainted our appetite for it. It has, it has, it has, it has broken a very beautiful expression of, of love that God gave us for one another. Um, let me just say, as an aside, 
and this is sort of like totally as an aside, the scripture also, in addition to marital love and, and that sort of thing, the scripture also affirms and celebrates singleness, okay? And, and this is overlooked, I think, a lot of times in churches. If you're a single person, the scripture celebrates that. The apostle Paul was a single man. Jesus was a single man. Apostle Paul actually says, you know, a lot of you that are single, some of you have the gift of remaining single. And if you have that gift and you can, can restrain yourself, you restrain your desires, then that's great because that gives you more freedom to do the work of the Lord. You're not constrained by, you know, a relationship, kids, all that kind of stuff. You have the freedom to do the work of the Lord. And so whether we remain single or get married, the scriptures teach us to make that decision based upon how useful and effective we can be in the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? You know, the scripture isn't, you know, people will say, oh, the scripture's outdated and old-fashioned. That's revolution. That was revolutionary. There was no ancient Near Eastern culture that celebrated singleness, but, but Paul does, and Jesus does. So, um, you know, and, and then what he says is as a concession, what Paul says is as a concession, if you are struggling with sexual desire, it's better for you to get married. Okay. Um, so the goodness of sex is maintained by the badness of, of sin. Why does the scripture limit sexual union to that between a man and woman who are married? Why does it do that? Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons that we learn through the scripture, but I'm just going to give a few of them. I believe that what the scripture is trying to tell us is that the, the act of sexual union should not be separated from the act of the act of, uh, of permanent emotional union. It should not be separated from the act of permanent spiritual union. It shouldn't be separated from you know, permanent financial union, legal union, total sacrifice, complete and total commitment. The act of sex is a, an act of union, and when it's severed from these other acts of union, it causes a great deal of problems and distress and harm and trouble. Okay, I, I believe that that's what the scripture is trying to, to teach us um, because it gives us a number of, of, of things throughout the scripture um, that sex is directed at. And, you know, for some people think, well, it's only directed at child, you know, give, you know having children. That's not what the scripture teaches. And I'm going to give you a quick list. Number one, uh, it's directed at bringing us pleasure, delight and joy. And you can, there are a lot of passages to that effect, but like, as I said before, you can read the Song of Solomon and you will learn very clearly that that is one of the reasons God gave us this gift. Another reason that he gave it to us was for bearing children. Um, in Genesis 1, 28, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, blessed them, and he said, go, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So he gave us sex for children. He also gave it to us for intimacy. It's interesting that the Hebrew word uses the same, that uses the word new when it says, or know, to know your wife, to know your husband. It, it, it speaks of this sort of deep intimacy where you get to know someone in ways that no one else gets to know them. Um, it's also for protection. In 1 Corinthians 7, this is a very interesting passage, 1 Corinthians 7 says this. He's instructing husbands and wives. He says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, pornaya, he says, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his 
should give to his wife her conjugal rights. He should, he should be willing to have, to have sex with her. Um, and likewise, the, the wife to her husband. For the wife, he says, does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, <laughs> except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is revolutionary stuff. To say that a woman has control over her husband's body in the first century in ancient Israel was revolutionary and insane. And Paul is just saying it just as clear as a bell. You know, when you are in union, spiritual, sexual, marital union, your body is no longer yours. Okay? Your body is belongs to the authority is 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 you you give up some of the authority over your own body and and vice versa um and then uh another reason that sex is given to us is for comfort um in second samuel um uh, chapter 12 when david and bathsheba lost a child there's a really beautiful moment where it says that david went and he comforted bathsheba and he knew her and they and they had another baby and that was solomon um, so, they, so in that case, sex was for comfort, and it also resulted in procreation. Um, and then finally, Genesis talks a lot about sex being for unity and oneness. Um, so these are the reasons that God gives us sex for these reasons. And so when we are using them for reasons other than those, outside of the constraints, outside of the construct of marriage, uh, then we are, we are missing the goodness of what God has given us. Okay, um, C.S. Lewis has this great little anecdote. He says, what if we went to another planet and on that planet we saw people watching videos of other people eating food and they were obsessed with watching these videos and they went to certain nightclubs and at these nightclubs they would pay an entry fee and they would watch people eat food. What we would say is, there's something messed up about these people's attitudes towards food. Because for some reason, they're obsessed with watching people eat food. It's the same thing with the sexual appetite. Something in our lives is broken. There's something wrong with our appetite for sex because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's gone beyond what it was designed for in our own lives. Um, pornography is a massive industry. It generates about $57 billion annually in revenues. Sex trafficking is a huge global industry. Uh, 45 to 50,000 young girls are trafficked in the United States every year. One in 12 youths experience some sort of sexual victimization, including sexual assault and attempted rape or complete rape. Um, pornography has become sort of the commonplace in our society. Um, but all of the studies will show that it has a very negative impact on relationships. Um, repeated exposures, according to the, to the research, repeated exposures to your basic, standard, nonviolent, commonly available pornography includes increased callousness toward women, distorted perceptions about sexuality, devaluation of the importance of monogamy, decreased satisfaction with your own partner's sexual performance, and affection and appearance, doubts about the value of marriage, and decreased desire to have children. So what we have done is we have taken this gift, and because of sin in our life, it has become distorted. It has gotten bent out of shape, 
okay? It's not that sex itself is bad. It's that it has gotten distorted in our lives. We have, we have gotten distorted about it. Um, and then I want to just make a, a, a third point. Um, and the third point is that we are to make our sexual choices on the basis, this is what he's really getting at at the scripture, and I'm going to close with this. We are to make our sexual choices on the basis of our spiritual identity, not vice versa. Vice versa would be that you're making your, uh, your, your, your grounding your spiritual identity on the basis of your sexual desires, right? And that does happen. But what the scripture is saying, no, primarily you are to identify with Jesus and follow him and the choices that you make about how you use your body flow out of your identity in Jesus. Um, this week, I met a guy, uh, actually a homeless guy. This is a sad story. I met a homeless guy this week who at, was asking me for, to buy him bus tickets. Um, and he started telling me this long story about how his, he had been in prison for 15 years. He had been out for about 13 months. He had a major problem with his feet. He was having trouble walking around, and he needed bus tickets. I don't know if he was telling me the truth or if I was totally getting conned, but, you know, I said, okay, I'll buy you some bus tickets. We go up to Schnucks, and I buy him, like, a little bu- a thing of bus tickets. Uh, and then I say to him, and, and the other thing that he started sharing was that he was really jaded about church. And so I held off on telling him that I was a pastor. So, you know, I'll just reserve that, let him talk, and then I'll... <clears throat> so, so at one point I turned to him and I said, let me, let me ask you something. I said, because he was complaining that none of the churches were helping him out. He was very upset about this. And I said, let me ask you something. Have you gotten involved? Have you thought about getting engaged in a spiritual community, getting involved, getting tied in somewhere where you can be surrounded by a community of people who will love you, who will look after you, who will support you and encourage you and strengthen you? Have you, have you considered that? And what I wanted to do was bring him here. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, um, he said, no, I can't do that. And I said, why? And he said, because if I do that, then I can't do some of the other things that I want to do. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I want, and, and it came down to sex. He wa- I want, he said, to be able to have sex with whoever I want to, whenever I want to. And if I become a part of a spiritual community, that's going to limit my ability to do that. And I said, Actually, I I don't think I said anything. What I thought was, this is sad because this guy's sexual desire has become such a master over him that he can't even, he's, he's willing to live on the street and have no spiritual community, have no family, because he wants, because he's driven so strongly by his sexual desires that it, it forms his identity. It is the basis of his identity and he, and he will not, he will not change that in order to gain the love and encouragement and support of, of people around him. It was a very sad story. And so what I want to say is that we are to first ground our identity in Christ, and out of that, our sexual choices are to be made. Um, Matthew 5.19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What's important about that is that Jesus is saying that these actions come out of our internal identity, our heart. 
Um, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is God's. Give it to him. I'm going to give you very quickly, I'm going to run down the list, and then we're going to close. A few steps to help you, those of you who are struggling, which should be all of us to some extent, with this issue of sexual immorality or sexual impurity. Number one is to commit your life, to commit to lead your life based on your identity in Jesus. So number one is that you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. If you've done that, to say, look, I'm going to direct my life at following his commands because I identify myself primarily with him. Number two, admit the problem. You know, a lot of people say, well, the Christian walk is a a life of repression. Christians are not repressed. Repression is when you pretend that you don't have a problem, right? When you express your problem, when you know that you have it, when you acknowledge it, when you reach out for help with it, that's not repression, okay? That's transformation, all right? So reach out for help. Uh, or admit the problem. Three is to, is to reach out for help. Seek help from the spiritual community, a life group, accountability partners. If you need more help, there's Avenues Counseling. There's a group called First Light. There's whole entire um, nonprofit groups that are dedicated to helping people overcome sexual issues. Um, number four, pray for the Holy Spirit to help you. That's, the, that's real. Pray that the Holy Spirit will empower you to do right. Number five, spend time in the Word. Read his, read his word. Number six, stay busy with works of service. Uh, if, if this is a struggle for you, find ways to serve. Because when you're serving, you're sacrificing. You're not indulging, you're sacrificing. Uh, number six, or number seven, seek spiritual input. Put, fill your mind with things that are of the spirit because we are flooded with sexual imagery. Every day, you literally cannot drive down the highway without being flooded with sexual imagery and sexual... Um, um, communication. Number eight, avoid too much time alone. Um, Rick Warren, who's a pastor out in California, he, he never even travels alone. He always has somebody with him because he doesn't want to be tempted. He doesn't want to be in a position of, of temptation, uh, which leads me to number nine, avoid those circumstances where temptation is likely to strike. It's very, very hard to resist temptation. It's not that hard to avoid it altogether. Don't put yourself in situations where you are likely to be tempted, okay? Um, And number 10, if you cannot constrain your sexual desires, marry and enjoy the sexual freedom that comes in marriage. And I will say this. I'm going to wrap up with this. And this is the truth. When your spouse is your, becomes your ideal, and this is, this is the way God has designed it. Your spouse should become your sexual ideal, okay? And when you direct all of your sexual attention and energy towards that one person, you will find that it, it grows. When you have it sort of spread out all different directions through lust and all sorts of other things, then you will find that it dissipates. But I'm going to encourage you to turn it towards your spouse, and direct it all towards her or towards him. Um, and I'm going to end with this. You are children of light, guys. We are children of light. This is hard talk, right? It's difficult, challenging talk. But really it comes down to this. 
This is not judging. This is not condemnation. This is not shame. This is none of that stuff, right? This is basically just encouragement that as children of light, Jesus is calling us to walk in the light. So I want to say to you today, walk in the light. The beautiful light, right? Come where the dew drops of mercy shine bright. Remember that? Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. Walk in the light. Let's all stand together. <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this passage. We thank you for the challenge of this passage. We thank you for um, the strength, Lord, that you give us as a community to try to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. We are not being judged. We are not being condemned. We are not judging others or condemning others, God. But we are, Lord, being encouraged to walk in a way that pleases you, to follow after you, whether we are single or whether we are married, to give ourselves wholly and completely to our identity in you and to follow you with all of our hearts. If we struggle, give us the strength, Lord, not to be so ashamed that we don't reach out for help. If we fail, Lord, help us to not be so overcome with guilt that we can't reach out to our community. But Lord, give us strength as a family, God, to strengthen and encourage one another. Strengthen and encourage one another, Lord God, and follow you and walk in the light of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys.